Well, good morning. My name is uh, Andrew. I'm the pastor of Next Generation Ministries here. Um, usually I'm, I'm hidden out over there behind those four walls, making a lot of noise with the kids. Uh, but today you get to have me here, and I'm happy to be here. Um, but before I get started, I wanted to share just a little bit about how impactful Vita Hoven in Nicaragua is, since I had the opportunity to, to go and to experience that. And I've continued that along with Amanda and myself. We continue to buy coffee from Nicaragua and from Vita Hoven there at the camp. And over the time since we've done that, we have been able to, because a portion of the money that you give for the coffee goes to putting kids into camp. And so in that time, we have done, uh, for the last three years, there's been 171 kids that we've been able to see go through camp uh, just by buying coffee. Because a portion of what we buy sends kids to camp, so it's 170 kids that have the opportunity for their lives to be changed and impacted by the clubs that they were talking about that are all over the city. And it's such an amazing opportunity. And I put that bug in your ear right now because I know there's desire for a trip to go next summer. So begin to pray about that. Put that on your dream map. Ask God, do you want me to go to Nicaragua? Because it's a great opportunity and you'll be forever changed. So I just want to throw that out there. So um, I'm excited to share with you this morning on a, on a passage of scripture that's, that's a lot of fun. You know, it's a plot to kill a guy who's already dead. Sounds great. But this passage of scripture is, is one that's just kind of stuck right in the middle of the gospel of John. There's three verses about a guy named Lazarus, but it's nowhere else to be found in the synoptic gospels. It's only right there. And there's these three little verses that for some odd reason that no commentary likes to write about these little, three little verses. So it left me kind of stranded out on an island thinking about what does God want to reveal through these passages of Scripture, or these verses. So we're going to read the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 9 through 11. Then a large crowd of Jews learned that he was there. They came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, the one he had raised from the dead. The chief priests had decided to kill Lazarus also, because he was the reason many of the Jews were deserting them and believing in Jesus. Pray with me. God, we love you. We thank you that you are here with us. We thank you for for your Holy Spirit that is present. We pray, God, Lord, that the words that would be spoken would be led and guided by your Holy Spirit. And that, Lord, that you prepare the hearts of the people here and those that are online to receive a word from you, not from me. So, God, we pray, God, that you would guide everything as you have so far in this service. So we give you this time and this word, and we ask all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So as we know, just, just kind of a background of a note of what's happening right before this. We're leading up to the Passover. And so there's a note that I wrote down that 
It's a distinct movement that's taking place right now, that this movement of Jesus is happening in this time, that Christ is closing in with his own, with his own public ministry. Public ministry in itself is ceasing in this movement. So we're at a time where Jesus is beginning to reveal himself to the disciples. He's beginning to show, hey, I'm about to go to the triumphal entry. I'm about to share with you that my life is going to be over. I'm not going to be with you forever. So he's beginning to lay this groundwork. How fitting that he's talking in a setting with Lazarus, who he just raised from the dead six days ago. And here he is about to say, I'm going to go. I won't be here much longer. How fitting that he's talking about the resurrection. How fitting is it that this is the last miracle that's reported in the gospel of John is the resurrection of Lazarus. Right before Jesus talks about his own life. This is also the time where he concentrates upon his church for future testimony. This is the beginning of the revelation of what it means to be followers of Christ who are transformed through the resurrected power, which we see. So the first point I want to make is that the object in view is a vessel. And that vessel is Lazarus. And it's of the testimony of Christ. Here we are sitting right there before. You have this, this guy that was raised from the dead. And everybody wanted to know what in the world happened. Is this really real? Did Lazarus really raise from the dead? Did he really stay in that tomb for four days? Did that really happen? So they had this curiosity. These Jews were curious. They were like, what is going on? Why did this happen? So from curiosity to belief, many of you have kids or grandkids, and you know there's always this constant questions of, uh, about what's going on and what's this and what's that and why do I have this? And they're curious right now, thinking, well, what is he doing? I hear him every Sunday. But the curiosity that we have it leads to belief because we begin to pursue something that we're looking that will transform us. So here we got the Jews were curious to see Lazarus. They wanted to hear his story. They wanted to know what happened. Then they also wanted to see Jesus because of his great power. Power to raise the dead, power to heal the sick, power to give sight to the blind, power to set the captives free. Power to set people free from demonic oppression. They wanted to experience that power because they saw all the miracles leading up to this one. So there was something happening. You know, for the Jews and for the people there, knowing Lazarus was all about signs and wonders. Knowing Lazarus was about knowing his testimony. You see, they were after something. They knew that Lazarus had raised from the dead and they wanted to go see him. They wanted to hear his story. They wanted to know who he was. They wanted to believe it. At the same time, they were questioning their belief in Christ because they had tradition. Then there is knowing Jesus. And to know Jesus is about intimacy. And intimacy comes through transformation. And so to be intimate with Jesus, 
How does someone become intimate with Jesus? What does that look like? You know, how does one experience the transformation of Jesus? These are questions that the Jews had running to see what happened to Lazarus. They wanted to hear the story. They wanted to hear the testimony. Let me share a couple known verses that you guys are probably very familiar with. If not, let me share them with you. First one is in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. And then in Galatians chapter 2, verses 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. These are life transformation scriptures about what it means to walk in the crucified Christ, in the resurrected body of Christ. I want to share with you, I just got back from youth missions camp. It was an interesting week. Had some struggles, some tough times. It's a little different this year. Culture's changing. Kids are changing. Sometimes the things that we used to do are not working now. We get there in the first night our, in our cabin, sitting on the hill, the, the AC goes out. So we're sleeping in 96-degree cabin where your skin is sweaty and sticky to the sheets as you roll around. And you try to roll over and your sheets are still rolling with you. And they pull off the bed mattress and you put it back down. And you throw a sheet and it sticks to you. That was the week. Until the last day, by God's grace, somebody came in a crocodile dundee hat and put a little motherboard into our AC. And voila, we had AC for the last day. I woke up and all the teenagers were complaining because I froze them out. Go figure, right? It's like, you know, you go from 96 degree heat and everybody's complaining because it's hot and sweaty. And then I get the AC working and they complain because they're cold. I can't get it right. Parents, can I get an amen? Can't get it right, can we? There's always the up and downs and the ins and outs, right? So let me explain. So this week we had an opportunity to go to a house. And it was a hoarder's house. Maybe some of you have seen the hoarder show on TV and you're like, oh yeah, I know about that. Well, let me just explain a little bit about this hoarder's house. We get there and I walk up and, and I'm talking to the, the lady of the house. Okay, and the situation that we're, we're, we're coming to is this lady's husband had to be removed from the home because of the mess and he couldn't have home health there. They couldn't take care of him at home so they moved him to assistant living. Two weeks from the day that we arrived, she was going to be evicted from her home if it wasn't clean. She contacted three different people, churches and organizations, to see if they would come and clean her mess. And she got three no's, and then she got one person said, I can do it for $5,000. Then arrives us. The director called me a couple weeks before camp, and he said, hey, I got a really interesting situation. Andrew, 
I actually call me brother. He said, no other youth pastors want this one, but I figured you'll take it. I said, I got it. Let's do it. Not really knowing what we're getting into. So I get there. We're sitting down and I always like to have a time of prayer with the team and with the, with the you know, whoever's living there. And in this case, it was a young, uh, an elderly lady. And as I was sitting there praying, I began to smell what we were getting to. And we were about, at this point, about 20 yards from the house. And I began to smell. And I was like, whew, this is going to be rough. It's going to be tough. So after we pray, I take the kids back and we go back to the truck. And I take down a bucket. And out of the bucket, I pull hazmat suits. And I said, let's go. Put them on. So we put hazmat suits on, cover our heads, mask. And I was sitting there, first thought was, what am I doing? Now, let me paint the picture a little bit more. We're in a mobile home of a very impoverished area, and here we are with a bunch of kids coming, and we're wearing hazmat suits to a home that this lady lives in every day. So I thought, wow, I felt like I was disrespecting the lady. But I knew that we couldn't walk in there. There was absolutely no way. And I take care of your kids. So we put hazmat suits on, gloves, and these hazmat suits go over your shoes, so there was nothing covering. So I assured the lady that everything's okay. She was a nervous wreck, guys. Can you imagine even in your clean home for somebody to come in and start cleaning it? I bet you you're probably one of the ones that cleans it before the cleaning people come to clean it. Right? We have that, right? We have the tendency we're going to clean it before somebody else comes and cleans it, and then we clean it again after they leave. Well, in this situation, there's no cleaning. So I get up to the door, and I push the door. And the door opens about this much. And I look in, and the waft of the smell was overwhelming. Now, I've lived in India, and I've experienced some tough smells. And this smell was rough. So we get in, and there's only enough room for two of us to get in. And let me just tell you that in this house... There's no hoarding of magazines. There's no hoarding of toys or any fun trinkets. This is hoarding of garbage. So we're talking about, you know, eating cans of soup halfway and throwing the cans on the floor and just throwing all your trash. And then over the period of time, this lady has lived on it. And so she has stepped on it one by one. So she's packed down about six inches of garbage on the floor with about three to four feet of garbage around her entire house, all the way down the hall in every room. There is feces of every type of animal and human scattered amongst the place. This lady was as sweet as you can get. She was such a sweet lady. And if you saw her out and about, you wouldn't have any idea that she lived in this. You'd have no idea. So we get in and we start trying to pick up and not looking. And her cup of coffee that morning that she had, had 10 baby cockroaches in it. And that's what she had. This was her life. But she had asked if we would come and help her clean this up. She had been working and continues to work with the therapist. She wants to change. She wants to be transformed. She wants to be made new. 
but she couldn't handle being there. She had to leave. So we're here we are. We have a dumpster, big dumpster, and we start. And me and another guy get in there and just shoveling. We're just shoveling, filling up totes after totes after totes after totes. We're in it about two hours, and I have an entire dumpster full of garbage. And I was like, we still have three and a half bedrooms to go in a bathroom. I was like, there's no way we're going to get this done. The team that was with me was amazing. They were awesome. They didn't complain. They didn't, they held it together. They didn't show any signs of like, oh my gosh, this is the worst ever. Nothing. You know what? Even to the point where they were sitting on the floor in the kitchen, scrubbing it with their hands trying to get the floor to show. They worked hard. They gave everything they had because we wanted to see transformation happen. So we finished as much as we could and we put it on the top and put the, put the tarp on and we tied it as tight as we can so that we wouldn't get in trouble. And we waited to the next day. And we had gotten it pretty good and pretty, pretty cleaned up and set aside and everything was looking good. She had a chair that she sat in, and that's what she slept in. She had a bed, right? She had a bed in the back, and she said, could you leave the bed for the night? And I said, sure, we'll leave the bed, but tomorrow we're going to get it, because everything had to go except for the TV. That was the rule. Everything had to go except for the TV. So we got everything out, except for the bed in the back bedroom. We get there the next morning. We walk in, and the kitchen that we had pretty clean, almost really clean, already had stuff back on the counters. And it was hard. It was hard for the kids to see that, like, we worked so hard. We worked so hard. And I explained to them that, you know, transformation and change in people's hearts, sometimes it's, it's very hard. They can't just make a, a drastic change and be free all of a sudden. But she wanted to. So we get into the back bedroom and I pick the bed and I pick up the pillow that she slept on the night before and there was four piles of feces there. And I clean it up, and I'm dragging the mattresses out, and we get it all cleaned out the best that we can. We filled up an entire, another dumpster with the refrigerator, everything. I'm not supposed to put refrigerator in there, but don't say that. I took the Freon out. Um, <laughs> and so we put the refrigerator in there, put everything in there, strapped it down, and we left. And we felt pretty relieved and felt really good about what was happening and the transformation for this lady. In all reality, guys, like, I don't think any of us could have lived there even if it was clean as we made it. So that evening, I was talking to some of the teenagers, and I asked them, I said, what would it take for you to live there for a week? That was your place to live. And it all sunk in at that time. Because it's one thing to go and clean out a mess and do the job, but it's another thing to think about actually being in it and living it. And then you realize, man, I don't know if my heart really has changed and shifted. Well, you see in this story, the Jewish people wanted something. They wanted transformation. They wanted something to change. But you know, the issue was antagonism toward Christ. It was an antagonism towards the vessel, towards the testimony of Lazarus. You see, the chief priest wanted to kill the evidence. You know why they wanted to kill the evidence? Because they didn't want to change their minds. 
So if they kill the guy that was just raised from the dead, then we kill the evidence of the testimony of who Christ is. So they wanted to kill the evidence. You know, they wanted to take away the truth. They wanted to distort the testimony. They wanted to mock transformation. And I'm not sure if, if any of that really stood out to you right there, but that's very prevalent of today's time. They are trying to kill the evidence. They are trying to take away the truth. They are trying to distort our testimonies. They are trying to mock our transformations. Because if they silence us, they win. This is the exact same thing the chief priests were doing then. They were trying to silence Lazarus. And in this case, they were going to plot to kill him. The chief priests, you know, were, they were fearful for their life. You know, they were losing their control with the resurrection of Lazarus. When this happened, they began, their, their control of everything and the people began to unravel on them and they began to lose control. And they began to think the only way to do it is to kill the evidence. You know, they were very angry. And they were angry because people were leaving tradition for transformation. They were leaving tradition for transformation. These chief priests were mad because these people who were following their tradition had now found Jesus and had been transformed from the inside out and they wanted something new and they wanted the power of Jesus. And they were mad. The chief priests were mad. They saw that the people, the Jews, were finding life in Christ through the power of his name. That they were finding intimacy that leads to life transformation. You see, we're all at that place where we're called to life transformation. We're called to be transformers of of the word of God, of, of it coming inside us and then being able to share that, that testimony. You see, people were coming to see the miracle of Lazarus, but they were missing out on being in intimacy with Jesus. They were missing out on the power of transformed life because they were caught up in seeing the miracle. There's many of us who have experienced and seen miracles happen and people who have, have had miracles happen to them, but it didn't always lead to life transformation. The miracle still happened. The miracle was still real. The miracle was still of Christ, but the transformation of one's soul didn't happen. It kind of stopped at the miracle, at the sign and the wonder. You see, Lazarus was raised from the dead only to what? Die again. You know, Lazarus' testimony is of Jesus' marvelous power, his love, and transformation. And we who are as followers of Christ are also dead to sin and alive in Christ through the resurrected power. I ask the question of when someone meets Lazarus, where do they go from there? 
If you go and run and you see Lazarus and he's raised from the dead, where do you go from there? Where does that conversation go? It goes in the, hey, this is what happened. This is my testimony. This is my story. And it's all great. But if that testimony and story doesn't do the next one, the second question I had is, when someone meets Jesus, where do they go from there? Because our testimony should lead the person to Christ, which is the intimacy which leads to transformation. So you can come to Jesus because of the miracle of Lazarus, but you only stay with Jesus because of transformation through intimacy with him. So you can come to Jesus and everybody comes to Jesus. But life transformation happens through intimacy. And I ask the question, well, how does one become intimate with Jesus? Well, for each one of us, it's going to be different. But a couple of thoughts are, you know, it happens through intentional community. A desiring to maybe ask the tough questions and pursue the grace of Christ. Being willing to go beyond the ordinary into the extraordinary life of Christ, going beyond the comfortabilities that we have, going beyond the traditions that we have to see Christ move in ways that maybe we haven't yet experienced. You know, some people experience miracles and signs and wonders, and, and yet they're still looking for transformation. But you know, ultimately transformation is about living a life of repentance, Transformation in one's life happens through repentance. We confess of our sins. We are forgiven of our sins. We repent. We turn. And at the very beginning of our life, in a life of repentance, it may look like this. You know, like I tell the kids, a life of repentance is you what? You turn the other way, right? So it may look like this when you first start. Because you may be just walking like this. But hopefully, over a period of time in your life, you begin to transform a lot more. And the distance between asking for repentance gets a lot longer. Because the closer you get to Christ and the more you become transformed, the less that you're going to ask for repentance. Because he's changed your life. He's reformed you into his image. But repentance is always about transformation. And it's always about going to the Father. In closing, I just want to share a passage of Scripture as a challenge to all of us as the body of Christ. And I share this because I think about where we are in society and where we are in culture. I think about this because I see the younger generation who's crying out for something. You can give them all you want. You can give them everything that they need, but there's still one thing that they need that's bigger than anything, and that's a relationship with Christ. And that relationship is transforming, and it changes. Because let me tell you, if we don't do it, the church in the future is not going to be here because it's shifting and changing. I just experienced it with 165 teenagers who absolutely did not connect with the messages. But they enjoyed being there. They had a great time. But they were missing something. They were missing that transformation. Each of you who are followers of Christ have a story, a testimony, a Lazarus story. I'm going to encourage you to share that story. Start in the four walls of your home and then begin to work out. Go to your workplace and share 
your testimony. You see, Lazarus is only here in the book of John. The only place in the Gospels is because everybody ran to him to hear his testimony. How many people are running to you to hear your testimony? How many people are running to see you because you have been changed and transformed by Christ? Therefore, they want to know, hey, who do you have? And why are you changed? Because I want that. The kids in this service and the kids that come and the younger generations, they're looking to you for that story, that transformation. They want to see it from you. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, it's about the Lord of the harvest. Verse 35, it says, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then they said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. We need workers. The harvest is getting ready. It's here. The next great awakening is coming. But we need harvesters. We need you to get ready. We need you to prepare and begin to move out and engage with society, with culture. And begin to share your story that has been transformed by the love of Christ so that others can experience that same transformation and that same love and grace from our Heavenly Father. Let us pray. God, we love you so much. And again, Lord, we are so grateful. We're grateful for what you did for us, for your your death on the cross, for your forgiveness of our sins, for your resurrection and the power that you give to us through the ascension. Lord, these things have been given to each of us and we didn't ask for them. And we thank you. We thank you for that. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, you have shown us in your word through a testimony of an individual who was dead for four days, but he was your friend and you chose to call him out and give him life again. Just like you have called each of us out to give us life in you. Life anew through you. So Lord, I pray that the power of your spirit, the power of your love and your grace would begin to work and transform on all of our hearts. That we may walk in our testimony and we may walk and share the story of the goodness and to share about the good news, which is life with Jesus. Thank you again, Lord, for loving us as we are, not for who we should be. We ask all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.